Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this summer we have been looking at the book of First and Second Chronicles, and uh, it is a fascinating read. It's some of the best ancient history you can find. It's actually one of the parts of ancient history we know the most about because we have this book, First and Second Chronicles. We also have First and Second Samuel. We have First and Second Kings. And then at the same time that all of those history books are written, we've got David and his prayers in the Psalms. We've got Solomon and his wisdom in Proverbs and Song of Songs. And then on top of that, we got a bunch of angry bald men called the prophets and their writing. And they show up. I don't think they're mad because they're bald, but they're just angry bald men. And they uh, and the reason we know that they're bald is because one of them, some kids were making fun of him. And he said, they were saying, go up, Baldy, which is a really bad thing to say in Hebrew, apparently. And he called down some bears to mess the kids up. So there you go. <laughs> Don't mess with bald people is the moral of that story. <laughs> and anyways, in that same time frame, in that same history, we have the prophets. And so all those books that are crammed at the back of your Old Testament before you get to the Bible... You've got uh, Jeremiah into the, did I say Bible? Okay. At least somebody's listening. That's good. That was a test. Thank you. Uh, before you get to the old, end of the Old Testament, before you get to Jesus, and sometimes you're reading the Old Testament and you're reading the prophets and you're like, let's just get to Jesus because these guys are all a bunch of cranky old bald guys walking around with sandwich boards on and just the end is near, repent, you guys are horrible, you're idiots, and they're doing crazy things, and you're reading about these guys, and all those men wrote and spoke to Israel during this time frame, during the time that's told to us in First and Second Chronicles. And one of them is going to play a role in what we're going to look at today, and we're going to look at the last king. Some of you are like, yay, last, finally. I know I feel that way. We're going to look at the last king today, and his name is Hezekiah. We're going to take a look at him. He's the last king in the southern uh, nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah has this guy named Jeremiah who talks to Hezekiah a bunch, and Jeremiah bugs Hezekiah. Hezekiah doesn't like what Jeremiah has to say. And so we're going to take a look at that uh, this morning. We've been talking out about how... Um, we all are kings, or at least we want to be. We all want to be kings. I, I think if there was a vacancy of the British monarchy and they just were taking applications, my guess is lots of us would send an application. We would think, well, you're telling me there's a chance. Uh, we would send an application. Yeah, I'd like to be king. The king in Britain doesn't do much. They travel a whole bunch. They seem to live on the dole. They have billions or millions of pounds. They get to not wait, you know, money. They get to do lots of things that us paupers don't get to do. And to be king is good. Right? Because there's that line, it's good to be the king. <laughs> and we would all like to be king. And in our own lives... We all want to live autonomous and unaccountable lives. If I could, I would eat barbecue every single day because I want to live as king. And if I was king of Britain, I'd do it. 
because I'd have the money and then I could pay for liposuction or whatever to (laughs) take care of the consequences, right? Because we all want to live autonomously and unaccountably. We, We want to just have our way and we don't want to live with whatever consequences might come as a result of living our way. Now, this part of of history in Israel follows a a period of history called Judges. Uh, There's a book called Judges, and in the book of Judges, there's these people, men and women, who rise to become judge of Israel. And there's this cycle that occurs over and over and over again in the book of Judges. The people rebel, they sin against God. God sends people in the Philistines a lot of times to beat up on them and to teach them a lesson. And then they all repent because they're sick of getting it handed to them. And they repent and they say, hey, get these people out of here. And God has mercy and he raises a judge up and the judge drives out the bad guys. And that repeats over and over and over and over in the book of Judges. And this goes on for four or five hundred years. And they are to be a people that live without a king. They are to be a people whose king is God. And so if you're hanging out with, you know, your, your Babylonian or your Persian friend, and they're asking you, hey, who's your king? You're like, well, our king is Yahweh. Our king is God. Well, that's weird. You can't see him. You know, our king is this guy, and he's way cooler and badder and better than your king. He's got 700 wives. What does your king got, you know? It's like, kind of like what kids do. My dad can beat up your dad kind of stuff. And so the people of Israel, they decide they want to have a king because they feel left out. They were the first society in human history that was not to be governed by a human monarch or, 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 or a human king. They were the first society that was supposed to be governed by law. And that idea would fade away into human history and would not be rediscovered until the Enlightenment. And the American Revolution was was one of the nations that decided, we don't need a stinking king. We need law. And we'll be a people that live according to law. And that idea, that idea really had its germination in the Old Testament. So these people are living under law and they get tired of comparing notes and they get tired of realizing, you know, we don't have anybody to lead us. We need a king. And if you know the book of first Samuel, you know that they call out for a king. They ask God for a king. They ask God through Samuel for a king. And Samuel says, hey, you don't want a king. You don't want a king because a king will act like a king. And you don't want a king because a king will create an army. He'll force your young men into service of him. A king will have lots of wives. He'll see beautiful girls walking down the street and go, I want her and I want her and I want her. And he'll take them into his harem. You don't want a king because a king will tax you. And he will have all these taxes to pay for his harem because, you know, it'll be expensive. And then he's going to have a, a, an army that has to pay for them. He's going to raise taxes on you. You don't want a king. Oh, we want a king. We want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. All right. I'll ask God. God, can they have a king? Yeah, they can have a king. They've rejected me as king. They can have a king. All right, who should be the king? I don't know. Let's pick a really tall bloke who looks better than everybody else. Stronger than everybody else. Because that's what they want. They want a big, bad dude to be the king. So they find Saul. Saul's more handsome. Saul's like, if he was a woman, he'd be the fairest in the land, okay? He's tall, he's strong, but he's a chicken. He's a coward. 
He has some severe character flaws that God knows about in Saul. And he understands that this guy's not going to be a good king. But give him a bad king to, to start it out so that they learn the lesson right away. Well, time goes on. And lots of kings come and go. And eventually a civil war happens in the nation of Israel. And eventually there is a northern kingdom and there is a southern kingdom. And this book of First and Second Chronicles follows the southern kingdom of Judah. And today we get to the last king. And one of the lessons that we see over and over and over, and we're going to see it again today, is that rebellion against God, against his law, against his way of structuring the world leads to pain. Rebellion leads to pain. And we're going to see that in this text. We're going to see it carried out to its fullest because God, as we sang in one of those songs, you're rich in love and you're slow to anger. It's been a lot of years. There's been a lot of boneheads who are king. And he has been slow to anger. So uh, if you would turn in Second Chronicles chapter 36, I'm going to read about Zedekiah. Did I say Hezekiah earlier? Man, maybe I should just sit down and somebody else do this. 36.9. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king. <laughs> Isn't that a great age to start out as king? And he reigned in Jerusalem three months and ten days because the frontal lobe was not fully formed in his brain. And he handed his goblet to somebody and said, hey, watch this. Um, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> That's really not in there, but it could be. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In the spring, King Nebuchadnezzar sent for him and brought him to Babylon, together with articles of value from the temple of the Lord. And he made Jehoiachin's uncle, Zedekiah, king over Judah and Jerusalem. Now, what you need to know is Nebuchadnezzar uh, is really the one who's in charge of Judah at this point in time. He's really the guy who's in charge. We saw last time that Ahaz was the guy who kind of led Judah into being a vassal state of Babylon. And so we have here Nebuchadnezzar, he calls for the king because one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar has, he has a collection of kings. You might have sports cards. You might have vehicles. Maybe you got a gun collection. Uh, maybe you got a guitar collection. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a collection of kings. He'd be at a dinner party and, you know, hey, you want to see my kings? <laughs> you want to see all the kings of the nations that I have uh, conquered? Let me get them out. They're interesting looking. Check these guys out. And so he calls for Jehoiachin. And he takes him to Babylon. He takes all the pretty stuff, the beautiful stuff, the expensive stuff, the gold-plated, bronze-plated stuff out of the temple of the Lord and takes it back to Babylon. Because it's part of the dinner party show that he can show off. And look at this thing that they built. Isn't that pretty? And he installs Zedekiah as king. Now, if you're Zedekiah, what are you thinking? It's good to be the king, right? I mean, who doesn't want to be Zedekiah? He wants to be king. And besides, I'm like a puppet king. All I got to do is do what Nebuchadnezzar tells me. How easy is this gig going to be? Well... Zedekiah does stupid real well. In 11, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. That's partly why he does stupid real well. 21. Now, if you're 21 or under, this stings a little, and I'm sorry, but your frontal lobe is not completely formed. They have studied this. They know. 
that you do things, take risks, make decisions that older people wouldn't make. And Zedekiah is going to demonstrate some of his bad decision-making as a young man. He reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God and did not humble himself. If you're a person that likes to mark up your Bible, humble himself would be a good place to underline. Humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke the word of the Lord. So he... He rebels against God. He does evil in the sight of God. He does not humble himself in front of Jeremiah, who is the the prophet who shows up to tell Hezekiah, sorry, Zedekiah, that he's messing up. He doesn't humble himself. He is in rebellion to God. And then it goes on and it says this, not only that, this, this is where he does stupid well. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him take an oath in God's name. He became stiff-necked and hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. (laughs) That's doing stupid real well. I was trying to come up with a way that we would understand this. Um, Let's think about the town of Ray declaring war on the state of Colorado. That's kind of what Zedekiah was doing. And you might be thinking, well, Steve, there's a lot of guns in Ray. (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot of guns in Ray. But have you been to Fort Carson? Have you been to Peterson Air Force Base? I was just reading this past week. There are 50,000 military personnel in the state of Colorado. We can take them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, I don't suggest that. And besides, there's, there's Utah and Nebraska and Kansas. There's dudes in there and they can send them over too. It'd be like Ray declaring war on Colorado. And that's what Zedekiah does in rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) Man, you do stupid real well. Well, let's keep reading and see how this goes. Remember I said it's the last king? Doesn't go well. So, furthermore, verse 14. Furthermore, all the leaders of the priest and the people became more and more unfaithful following all the detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. They've turned their backs on God. They've turned their backs on Yahweh. They've turned their backs on Nebuchadnezzar. These folks are in rebellion. Now, remember earlier I said rebellion leads to pain. Rebellion leads to pain. And we're going to see how this leads to some pain. Um, before we do that, though, I want you to read in Second Kings. Or excuse me, let's let's keep reading fifteen and sixteen real quick. Uh, here, the Lord, the God of their answer, sent word to them through His messengers again and again. If you're a person that's always looking for the grace in the Bible, here's the grace in this passage. Here's the part where God is slow to anger. Here's the part where He keeps sending messengers. Keep sending people. One of them was Jeremiah. He keeps sending folks to tell them, stop it. Knock it off. Obey God. Humble yourselves. There's still a chance. And what do they do? Let's read first. Because he had pity, or you could also read the word compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. 
but they mocked God's messengers. Do you think it's going to end well for people who mock God's messengers? Despised his words. And scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. <laughs> Did you see the piling up of words there? Just to get you a sense of how, how well they're doing stupid here. Did you see all the piling up of these words? They mocked, they despised, they scoffed. I mean, probably one of those is good enough to get in trouble. At our house, you mock mom. Ooh. I mean, you don't even need to move into despised or scoffing. Mocking, that'll get you a little thump, right? There's this piling up of all these words to help you know that there's no remedy for these people. That God keeps sending people and they don't listen. Some of you are here today to hear that. Some of you are here today because you keep hearing from God. And you mock and you despise and you scoff. And some of you need to hear that he keeps warning you out of his compassion and his love for you. And you just keep, uh, no, I don't like that. I don't like what he has to say. I'm going to do it this way because I'm king. And rebellion leads to pain. Now, what happens as a result of no remedy? What happens as a result of mocking and despising God's word and his prophets? Well, we got to go to Second Kings to get the, the entire story of what happens. Because here in Second Chronicles, he just gives a quick summary statement. But it gets a little more involved than that. And I want you to feel how involved it gets really quickly. Because, you know, it's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling, the pain that rebellion leads to. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, he's telling you this is history. It actually happened. That's why all those details are there. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. <laughs> so all 50,000 of the military folks show up on the doorstep of Ray. Okay? Oops. Maybe we should have thought that through a little bit. So... He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. Now, here's what he's going to do. He's not even going to fight them. I mean, he crushed them like a bug, but he's like, why bother to have some of my guys hurt in the process? I mean, Ray's got a lot of guns. I'm sure they could take out a, several people. Why bother? Let's just cut off the supply lines. Let's just build a big fortress city around Jerusalem so that nothing can get in. And that's what he does. The city was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. When did it start? Ninth year. Two years. Two years. Two years, Nebuchadnezzar has, who knows, 100,000 troops. 200,000. His whole army is there. And not only them, all the slaves, all the servants, all the cooks, all the chefs, all the people that are support to make this siege happen. And it tells us in the scriptures that they built this earthen wall that was full of rocks and, and logs all the way around Jerusalem. And they just were going to wait them out. It tells us in the Bible, it got so bad. 
people were eating horses. Some scholars think that it may have led to cannibalism. It got so bad. So, that's what happens when you rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And really, it's rebellion against God. Because when we look at the next passage in Jeremiah, we're going to see that Zedekiah had a chance. He had a chance. Zedekiah or Jeremiah is one of those guys that God sent that they mocked and they scoffed and they despised. And Jeremiah, he had this discussion with Zedekiah during the siege. Sometime in those two years. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, this is what the Lord God Almighty. See all the piling up of terms for God there? He could have just said, here's what God says. But he chooses to say, here's what the Lord God Almighty. The Hebrew there is uh, God of the angel armies. <laughs> That's how mighty he is. Like he has, he has, this, he has this army that your arrows go through them. This is God of angel armies. This is the Lord God Almighty. This is what he is saying you to you. You think he goes, this might be worth listening to. Let's see what Zed does, right? If you surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, your life will be spared and the city will not be burned down. You and your family will live. But the next slide says, but if you will not surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, this city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians and they will burn it down. You yourself will not escape from them. King Zedekiah thinks about this for a moment. And he realizes that some Jews have gone over to Babylon. He's got some enemies out there who don't like him, who want him removed. And he's thinking, Jeremiah, what you just said, I don't know if I believe you. I don't know if I believe what God is telling you to tell me because if I surrender, I'm going to be toast. If I surrender, they're going to hand me over to the Babylonians. They're going to kill me. And he says it in this verse. I am afraid of the Jews who have gone over to the Babylonians for the Babylonians may hand me over to them and they will mistreat me. And Jeremiah continues. It says this. They will not hand you over. Don't you hate that when an angry bald guy tells you what to do sometimes? They will not hand you over. Jeremiah replied, obey the Lord. Just a quick guess. Do you think he'll do it? Does he have any track record? Is there any reason to think, okay, hmm, yeah, I'll do it. Is there any reason to think that he's going to quit doing stupid good? Is there any reason to think that he all of a sudden is going to be like, okay, we're eating babies and horses. Maybe it's time. Do you think he's going to get a clue? Obey the Lord by doing what I tell you. Then it will go well with you and your life will be spared. But if you refuse to surrender, that word surrender happened a couple of times in those few verses. Surrender, obey. One thing about kings, they don't like to surrender. One thing about kings, they don't like to obey anybody but them. One thing about you and me, one thing about you and me, because I'll speak for me. Maybe you don't do as stupid as well as I do. But one thing about me, 
I don't like to surrender. <laughs> and I have a real hard time obeying. I'm a compliant firstborn, but I still get my way sometimes, you know. I still make it work the way I want it to work. I still manipulate. I still, you know, connive and cajole and do things. I don't do obedience well. I don't do surrender well. I've had multiple conversations with people in my office that I know don't do this well. Remember, rebellion leads to pain. Obedience. And you just might be spared. Now, let's find out how Zed does, shall we? People have already, we've taken bets and folks are thinking he won't do very well. We got to go back to second Kings. Well, actually let's go back to second Chronicles 36 again to see what happened. This tells us what happens to Jerusalem. And in second Kings, we're going to see what happened to Zed. And so in Jerusalem, it says this, uh, he brought up against them, the King of the Babylonians, the he there is God who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. I don't think Zed got it right. Jeremiah said, if you, don't rep- if you do not obey, if you refuse to surrender, it's going to burn. It'll all burn, and you will not be spared. And this is the report that we read in 2 Chronicles. And then in 2 Kings, let's see how Zedekiah finishes up. But the Babylonian army pursued the king, Zedekiah, and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where, he, where sentence was pronounced on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. Rebellion leads to pain. In this case, man, could you imagine? Do you imagine being captured by a foreign army, being taken prisoner, watching your sons be killed in front of you? That's the last thing your eyes will ever see is their blood, their severed heads. Then they gouge your eyes out. Maybe it's not so good to be the king. Here, this is Zedekiah's demise. And we see that he refused to surrender. We see that he refused to obey. And you know what? I think there's some really important principle from this story that we need to grab a hold of. It's a principle that we see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's a principle that God is in pursuit of you because you belong to him. And do you think he's going to spare you pain so that you might know him better? Last week I said that C.S. Lewis said that pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. Do you really think that he is going to spare you 
If you're in rebellion to him, he is pursuing you because he loves you. He doesn't want to pay you back. He wants to win you back. And I know when you're in the midst of it, it feels like, boy, God is just trying to get me. Everything I do, everything I think, everything I try, bam, 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 bam. It's like whack-a-mole is my life. Sometimes we feel that way. It's like every time, oh, golly. Do you think God is going to spare you? I love this quote from Andy Stanley where we look at the New Testament and how it puts it. It says, God did not spare his own son to gain your salvation. God did not spare his own son to gain your salvation. He will not spare your wealth, health, marriage, or career to get your attention. He won't. He wasn't even willing to spare his own child for your salvation. Why would he spare you of some comforts? I know this is a hard word. I know this is a difficult word. And I know, please hear me well, not all things that go wrong in our lives are a result of rebellion. Not all things that go wrong in our lives are a result of our disobedience or our lack of surrender or our rebellion. But there are times. There are many times. There are many times that we fail to live according to the ways of God, the laws of God, whether we do it intentionally or not. And there's pain. There's suffering. God, for whatever reason, doesn't always choose to spare us that. That's why... That's why that note you thought you'd thrown away was found. That's why that relationship that's not right was discovered. That's why your employer saw that. That's why that computer browsing history was not wiped clean. That's why. It's because God disciplines those he loves. And when you get found out, and when you're stripped bare, you have a choice. You can be Zedekiah and go, I refuse to surrender. I will be king. Or you can humble yourself before the Lord. And you go, man, I messed up. I'm found out. I need to humble myself, repent, and obey. There's a passage in Revelation chapter 3. It's a well-known passage. We leave out some of the context. We leave out the first part of the context. Because it's often used in a gospel presentation. I don't think it's a gospel presentation verse. I think it's a verse about people who are already following Jesus. It's a verse about people who are following Jesus and living disobedient and rebellious. It's not a let Jesus into your heart verse. Because look at the context. The context says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. (laughs) In Zedekiah's life... It was Jeremiah that was staying at the door knocking. 
And Zedekiah was told, walk through the doors. Surrender. Get out of Jerusalem. Surrender to the Babylonians. You won't have your sons die. You won't have your eyeballs gouged out. You won't have Jerusalem burned to the ground. I don't know. I kind of like being king. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if you're telling me the truth. I don't know if I see it that way. I think there's other ways to interpret that. However spin, whatever spin he put it put on that, he was wrong. Zedekiah paid dearly and all of Jerusalem with him. Some of you today, Jesus is standing at the door knocking. God is pursuing you because he loves you, because you're his. And he is at the door knocking. And for some of you, it means that when you open that door, you've got to go home and get rid of some stuff. There's some things in your life that are destroying your relationship with God and with others that you just refuse to surrender because it's good to be king. And you need to just get rid of some of those things. You need to put them away. For some of you, you need to come clean with somebody. A spouse, a child, a co-worker, an employer. You need to have a come-to-Jesus meeting with them. And you need to, you need to, well, it'll hurt. It's going to hurt one way or another. Because rebellion leads to pain. And wouldn't you rather they find out from you? Somebody else? Uh, some of you, you, you need some counseling, some help with some addictions that are running your life, that are messing up your life and other people's lives around you. And you need help. Oh, but it's good to be the king. You need to get these things straightened out because rebellion leads to pain. And God loves you and God's pursuing you. He doesn't want to get back at you. He's trying to win you back. That's what he's doing. That's what he's after. He's after you. He didn't even spare his own son. God relentlessly pursues you because he loves you. And he is not trying to pay you back. He's trying to win you back. So he stands at the door and he knocks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this example to us from Zedekiah's life. And I pray, Lord, that if somebody here today finds themselves in a place of rebellion against you and your word and your law, that they would stop mocking, stop despising, stop scoffing, that they would humble themselves, that they would obey, that they would repent, that they would open the door. And Lord, it's so painful to see those in our community who have not heeded your grace, who have not opened the door to your compassion. And for whatever reason, they just were stiff-necked and rebellious and it brought pain and suffering upon them and their family. And I pray for those situations, Lord. You are the Redeemer God. We ask that you would bring beauty from ashes.
Help us, Father, to be people who heed the warnings of compassion you send our way. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Open the door. Obey. Repent. Amen.